This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Writing Project. OWP supports teachers from all over Ohio and celebrates the professionalism, expertise, and talent of our state's educators. Ohio Writing Project. Teachers teaching teachers. Answers, a production of the Ohio Writing Project. If you don't already know about the work we do, OWP runs professional development, delivers credit workshops, and even offers a master's degree through Miami University. What's more, every bit of the work we do is made by teachers for teachers. We'll be talking all about this work in today's episode, but first, a poem, and this one is by OWP alum Sarah Godwin. She was also on a recent episode. This poem is called Retriever. There are spaces within me I keep blank. Thoughts I push out. Ideas my right and left brain use to play keep away from my consciousness. I rearrange the furniture to cover up spots of recollection. I hang pictures to hide events. I dig holes deep and dark to bury, to forget. But memory is a dog. It hunts what I hide, plays fetch, lays at my feet all things I secret away like an offering. Then he happily waits, tail wagging, to start the game all over again. We actually interviewed Sarah a couple episodes ago when we chatted about her experience with project-based writing, and I'm so happy we got to feature some of her work on this podcast. So today, I chat with the co-director of the Ohio Writing Project, the one and only Beth Reimer. Today, we're going to talk about all things OWP. We'll dig into OWP's summer offerings, and we'll talk about a wide range of topics, from OWP's famous four-week workshop to place-based writing and even grammar. So here it is, my interview with Beth Reimer. So Beth, OWP every summer has tons going on, and that certainly is no different this summer. Can you tell us about some of the things that are coming up with OWP's summer workshops? Hey, Noah, I absolutely can. So it starts, of course, with the workshop on the teaching of writing, which this is the 42nd summer of this workshop. Totally amazing, right? Gosh, I know. Um, And when you think about the roots and the number of teachers that are gathered together to read and write and share together, it's pretty cool. It kind of gives me chills a little bit. Um, But the workshop on the teaching of writing is, it's really cool. So it's, it's the Summer Institute for the National Writing Project. So national writing projects across the nation are doing a summer institute and it takes all kinds of forms, right? At Ohio Writing Project, we have a face-to-face on campus for four weeks and a online option that is also four weeks and you get six graduate credits. And it seems like a long time, but number one, those four weeks go fast. Yes, they do. They go faster than you can ever imagine. <laughs> yeah, there's a moment, right? Where you, where you can't, you can kind of like not even think of, you can't imagine 
not coming to the class. She's like, oh, this is what I do now. And it's super cool. Um, so they go fast and you get six graduate credits in a month, which is lovely for you know licensure renewal and all the things. But that's of course not why it's amazing. It's amazing because there's kind of three main things that happen. We write together and share. So there's a whole focus on being a writer yourself which a lot of us have lost our writer voice, right? Or, you know, some of us didn't write, we haven't written since middle school or high school or college. And just the fact that you get to sit and write and dedicated sacred writing time every day. And then we get to share that and remember what it's like to put words on a blank page, to share your writing with someone. It's pretty cool. So that's something that happens. Mm -hmm. And I know that some people I just remember some people going in had anxiety because they knew they would have to they would have to write, which is such a weird thing for a teacher to think a weird way for teachers to think about right. I have to write. We're English teachers, but a lot of times, like honestly, we do feel that way, especially when it comes to having to be students ourselves. We've forgotten that anxiety. But the cool thing that I remember about the whole workshop was that it didn't feel like you were having to tap into some kind of deep well. Like once you get started, it you realize, oh, it was already there. It's like on the Beverly Hillbillies, if, that, if anyone knows that reference, when the guy's just shooting at some food and all of a sudden oil starts shooting up from the ground because it was right there below the surface. That's just <laughs> the way it feels. Like every single person that I have ever known who's done this workshop, that's their favorite thing. It's just realizing that the writer was right there below the sur the writer in them was right there below the surface all along and it just got to come alive and of course what's cool about that Noah is this idea that because we are experiencing it ourselves as writers it means we can transfer how it was created how that space and that community and that um inspiration happens, we mm -hmm. can transfer it to our classroom. So we can do that same thing for our writers. Yeah. And don't you think that that's part of the magic of OWP is that almost everything that you do with the writing project, it's lighting up two parts of your brain simultaneously. One, like you're super engaged as someone participating in the activity, but also the teacher part of your brain is on fire because you're like, oh my gosh, I can use it this way and this way and this way. And this makes me realize this about students. Yeah, I, that, you're hitting on one of my, the other things that always happens in these workshops and one of my favorites, and that is that we always share our own practice. So every teacher in the workshop shares a classroom strategy or a, a teaching practice that works really well or that they're inquiring into. Like, mm -hmm. I think it might work, but I'm going to give it a try right here in the safe space. And that whole idea, like you walk out with so many ideas. Mm -hmm. And I remember actually... Um, doing my very first one, this is in 1997, uh, my first <laughs> strategy presentation, teacher demonstration, and I collaborated with another teacher, and we actually were inquiring into how the brain works um, in terms of writing, and it was so cool because we were using senses and um, stories and mm -hmm. looking at how different people genders and how different people respond because there was new brain research out at the time. So it was so interesting because we really had no exact answer, but it was kind of mm -hmm. teacher research in the moment. And um, but you walk out with so many ideas. For sure. And mine was less, I don't know, mine was less sciencey. Uh, mine wasn't even really that good, if I'm honest. But that's the cool thing is there's not pressure 
it's just like with writing, it's not pressure to be good. It's, there's, it's really just all about going through the practice. And if you make some mistakes, then you make them and you learn from them. Like mine was about, I don't think I've ever used it in, I've used the process that I went through in the classroom as a teacher, but mine was more of like a personal inquiry into like the nature of remixing things. Just because I, I got really curious, I heard, I realized that a John Lennon song, like or a Beatles song, Come Together, was ripped off directly from a Chuck Berry song. And then I started trying to find out all the other songs that the Beatles ripped off. It was a lot. Um, <laughs> and then I just got into this remixing thread and then I just kind of shared it as if it were a lesson and we tried out different kinds of remixes of things. And it wasn't bad. It was actually, I thought it was pretty good, but it was really just re fun to have this time to do this mm -hmm. kind of inquiry and then sharing it in the form of a lesson. I remember just loving every second of that work, but also just loving that I had the time to do something that I wouldn't normally have time to work on. Yeah, and so many people's final portfolios are just filled with lesson ideas, like discussion strategies that people shared, ways to think about setting up reading workshops or um, independent reading or writing revision, just like, ridiculous number of ideas. So I love that piece. And then of course, the other thing that always happens in these workshops is something else I think we don't get to do very often. And that is talk about professional writing to talk about our work, right? We're teachers because we love teaching and we love you know reading or writing or kids and learning and all of the things. But sometimes we get so caught up in all the planning and the doing and the assessing that it's like, we don't get to settle down and just read some professional voices and then really process. What do we think about that pedagogy? Who are we now that we've been teaching for a little while? Where are we? And that might be some of my favorite moments actually, you know, when we really get to reignite mm -hmm. that interest in our work, like our really good work as professionals. Yeah. And I've been talking about this a lot on in other episodes of the podcast, especially like in the intros and outro sessions when you are trying to do something interesting as a teacher, progressive or something that really, you're trying to move your practice forward, it unfortunately can be really lonely and isolating because the fact of the matter is not everybody in your school feels the same way that you feel. Maybe they're dealing with some personal crises and they can't dedicate all of their mind space to teaching or maybe they're just in a different place professionally than we are. That happens all the time. And you feel like you're the only person doing it. And you go to a staff meeting with all these ideas on things that we could try, but everyone just wants to talk about how difficult their kids are being or how hard it is to get kids to proofread or some, you know, the things that teachers always talk about instead of doing real work. <laughs> Sorry, teachers. It's also, Sorry, it teachers. also real it's so, work, it's, Noah. <laughs> yeah, but it's so, I know it's part of it. And maybe blowing, maybe I'm being a jerk, blowing off steam is an important thing for people to do. But the thing that, just to it hit on what you're talking is. about, to, to hit on what you're talking about, Beth, mm -hmm. who is a nicer person than I am, um, being in a room with other teachers that are just talking about the professional stuff that you're also interested in, this is why we say find your professional home with OWP. You're mm -hmm. meeting with other people who are just as interested in teaching and being great at teaching and getting better at teaching as you are. Well, and that whole thing about blowing off steam, this is one of the things I love about the conversations in this workshop on the teaching of writing. We, as a whole, like in that class, we'll, we'll start to blow off steam, right? 
but then we keep going and we don't just stop at that complaint. We say, okay, well, why is that happening? Why are students not proofreading this? So let's ask why and figure that out. And then let's ask why again. And then let's ask why again. And then we can change something. Mm -hmm. So students are learning and writing and teaching and we're teaching. So that's the thing I love about it, right? So instead of getting defeated and instead of seeing in that deficit attitude, it's like, well, well, what can we do about it then? <laughs> Which is what I love. 100%. Yeah. And you so feel like- that's Go ahead. I was just going to say, so that's the workshop on the teaching of writing. We would love, love, love people to join. And since we have an online cohort and an on-campus cohort, there's all kinds of chances, choices. Absolutely. We could probably talk more about, we didn't even talk about peer groups or any other things that people love um, about it, but we can talk about that, that another time, or maybe they can just sign up for the teacher of teaching of writing course and, you know, get it firsthand. So what else did you want to talk about that's on the docket for this summer, Beth? So let's just talk about a few of the classes and then maybe we'll settle in and chat about a couple ideas because it's kind of cool. So uh, another one of our classes that I'm super excited about is Teaching for Change, Equity, Access and Social Justice. Uh, we all know that more and more, I mean, always and more and more, our classrooms have to be a place where all voices are heard and cultivated and energized and students can see themselves and students are heard. So I love this idea of teaching for change because the idea of this class is that we teach for change in our systems. So they'll be doing some thinking about what do our classrooms actually look like? What do our systems look like? How do we advocate for the kind of changes that have to happen in our, in our systems? We're gonna talk about um, teaching for change as ourselves as teachers, like looking at anti-racist teaching practices. What does that actually mean? You know, where, what have we done as teachers that maybe we um, didn't know we were doing and really challenge ourselves into those conversations? And this idea of um, changing what we read, making sure um, voices are all heard. And then finally, this idea of teaching for change where students get the chance to voice what they want to in the world. I mean, all you have to do is spend some time with some students and you know they have opinions on everything. Oh, yeah. And everything, like really smart opinions mm -hmm. and they deserve and should be heard. So I love the idea that this is gonna kind of let us think about it across the board about um, what does it mean to change ourselves and our systems and support students in making change. So, so excited about this class. Yeah, I mean, and I got to talk to Julia Torres on the podcast a few months ago, and that episode's being rebroadcast re pretty soon by NWP Radio. And one of the things that hit me as I was preparing for the interview and just thinking about my own practice and also talking to Julia was that so much of the work, as you mentioned, Beth, it's not just a matter of getting new books for a classroom that have different, that feature different cultures or people with different colors of skin. It's much more nuanced. It's much more intricate work. And it's a lot more self work than I think I had really thought about. Uh, Julia, toward the end of the episode, she said, uh, it's not a matter of being woke. It's a constant process of awakening. And I just, I know Anna Owens and I know Stacy Reed Miller and they're just such amazing teachers. And I, I'm jealous of all the teachers that get to be 
in this course with them because you're going to do so much awakening. You're going to do so much really inspirational work that's going to help so many kids and also other teachers that you end up working with. It's just going to be such an awesome course. Yeah, it's so cool. And it is on campus. And that's because we really thought it was important for the, the group of teachers together to have these conversations face to face, because it's what we're going to do right in our own places. And so important. So Anna is right now completing her master's work on um, race and identity and writing in middle school. So, so cool. Um, yeah, it's gonna be really awesome. And Stacy um, has always been an advocate and an example of what it means to give young writers a voice that matters and to um, make sure that diverse picture books and authors of color are highlighted and um, cultivated. So it's going to be amazing. And all the teachers, they're all teachers. So everyone will be vaccinated. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and it's at the Voice of America Learning Center in Westchester, right? It is. It is. Awesome. So another class, though, this one is online. So you can join from anywhere is Grammar Invitations. And I love the title. So here's the deal, right? Have you ever been invited by grammar, Noah? What do you think? Like, what's your favorite punctuation, Mark? Um, Oh, definitely the M dash. Um, I overuse uh, it and it gets on people's nerves, but I love it. You're one of those. Parentheticals of those. too. Yeah. You know, people who read too much Kurt Vonnegut in their twenties and then kept on reading him too long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so why do you love, why do you love the M dash? Because sometimes you don't know if a comma will really have the effect that you want to have in the sentence, you know, it doesn't like a comma doesn't really set apart the idea that you're about to say the way a dash does. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I hear you, I hear you. And um, I think a lot of it is also, it feels more experimental. And I think that's just to seg into the class. I think that's what uh, Liz is going to be bringing to this course as she digs into some of Jeff Anderson's work who is going to actually be joining the group, right? Right, yeah, Jeff is gonna, um join us uh, via Zoom on one of the days to talk about his books, Patterns of Power, and the whole idea of being in, invited into grammar to, to look at it, right? Because I think that's what's what we wanted to talk about with this class, is that too often grammar is scary for teachers mm -hmm. and for students, and um, that it's either right or wrong, and there's all this uh, around it. And really, grammar invites us in, right? It helps us read something. It it's a choice that we make, it's a craft move. And so what does it mean when we look at grammar that way and we learn it? Because it doesn't mean you learn it like through osmosis. Mm -hmm. It means you still, you teach it and you teach it as something that a writer can use. Mm -hmm. And so there are, there are some rules and you teach it that way. And so we look at patterns and we look at found grammar in the world, found punctuation in the world. It's gonna be super fun. And also, Noah, like what's interesting, it's um, in some ways also lets us open into some other conversations about what language and linguistics is um, prioritized in the world mm -hmm. and how mm -hmm. we do that. So also some really important conversations as well will be broached. I wanna bounce back out for a second. I forgot to ask you, what's your favorite? For, punctuation. oh, my favorite, uh, oh, my favorite punctuation, Mark. Um, so, I think it, I think it probably has to be the ellipse dot, dot, dot. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like there's always more to say and I, I run out of space every time. So I just say dot, dot, dot. 
Yeah, that I mean, oh yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent with you on that. The you know uh, the reason I ask is I was because I just recently moved to Vancouver, British Columbia, which is in Canada, the part that's above Washington, uh, not DC, the state. Mm-hmm. Um, I say all this because I didn't <laughs> I didn't know much about Canadian geography before I moved here, but in uh, British Columbia's teaching standards, here here's how it's worded. Students will play with language conventions what? in order to use them purposefully. And the reason I bring that up is that's exactly the kind of work that Jeff Anderson does. If you haven't read his books, uh, Mechanically Inclined, Patterns of Power, or any of the others that he's written, Revision Decisions, that's one of the really cool things that you're going to get to do in this course. And that Jeff Anderson does is he invites you to use a strategy called sentence combining so that you're really playing with language. So that if you are a student who might someday like the M dash or who might enjoy using the ellipse in an experimental way, you get to play with those. You get to experiment with those kinds of punctuations. You get to experiment with language conventions. So the grammar invitations, it's really an invitation. It's not just us putting an inviting word on something that isn't so inviting. Right. You can dress up anything, but in reality, this is this is some good play with Anne and Liz. So it's going to be good stuff. Yeah, it's going to be good. Oh, yeah, and Anne Stokes. All right, so uh, I missed the other teacher's name. I'm sorry about that, Anne. All right, so Enriching Literacies for Gifted Students, part one and part two. Right, so um, many teachers out out there um, need, and I'm just going to kind of use the word need, um, gifted hours. To, um, to have credentials to, to teach the classes they, that they are. And Liz Dooley is an incredible gifted endorsed OWP teacher. And so she has this really great class. Um, and what I love about the classes, and there's a part one, a part two. So if you've taken one, you can take the other. And it's just really thinking about who are our gifted students and what does it mean to really enrich a literacy environment, to develop passions and to develop inquiry. And so just really great um, ways. To be honest, Noah, there's lots of ways to get these hours um, around, but you'll never get something like this with Liz. Yeah, I mean, Liz has been doing this kind of work for a long time. So she's a seasoned veteran at at just working with gifted students and working with teachers who work with gifted Mm -hmm. students. And the thing that I've loved about just talking to her about the class and sitting in on some of her sessions is you're not, in addition to learning cool strategies that you can use tomorrow in your classroom. I felt like when I'm working with Liz, when I'm learning from Liz, I'm really learning more about what it means to be a gifted student, to feel what it's like to be in a gifted student's shoes, the stresses that they're under, the divergent ways of thinking. Like you really get a better sense of empathy for what the students are going through, which always helps teachers when in working with kids. Yeah, so it's a great way to get your hours and learn. Like, and a me- getting, okay. the, getting the hours in a meaningful way. All right, multimodal and yeah. multi-genre, redefining reading and writing. Okay, so here's why I'm so excited about this class. Lots of reasons, but the instructors are why I'm excited about this. Stacy Reader is an incredible um, teacher. You know those teachers, Noah, that 
when you when you first ask them a question, you're like, do you have anything? And they're like, well, I don't know. And then they list like 50 things they've just done with their students that yeah. are incredible. And you're like, wait, what? Can you just zip back and do, tell me all those again? She's one of those teachers. Her students are constantly owning the work. She believes in them 150%. And they write all kinds of things in their mm -hmm. classroom. So all the way back up to this idea of the fact that sometimes we front load an assignment that says we must all do a PowerPoint now. Mm -hmm. Like her work instead is like, what are we writing, investigate? And then how should we share that? And that mm -hmm. is incredible to me. But on top of that, Dr. Jason Palmieri is the newest faculty co-director of the Ohio Writing Project. So this is his first summer workshop he's teaching. And he has just, he's um, done lots of research around multimodal, just published a book um, that traced back through the NCTE archives, all the kind of multimodal work through the years that has been done, which is really cool to think about what used to be multimodal and mm -hmm. whatnot. So he really is bringing so much, um, research and knowledge mm -hmm. to this idea that it's more than just like have somebody write a poem oh, yeah. and a story about something right i mean yeah. so this is he's a brilliant mind but can we i also point out he's also super super nice guy i, know. I mean one of the nicest people in the world and he's so generous with his time like with the uh if we could do a little bit of inside baseball for just a second uh with Okay. Uh, with the OWP's MAT program, you do the, the research part, the classroom research. And part of that Absolutely. work is just keeping a journal. And then you turn it in in quotation marks um, once a month and you get feedback or it's almost like a conversation between the person who is your quote unquote research advisor. I've gotten to see some of this work from the inside recently. And one, Jason's just in charge of the whole cohort. And he goes into every single student's work and will try to leave at least a few comments and they're all supportive. And he invests so much time into every single person that he works with. He's such a great person. In addition to being super smart um, and doing all kinds of really amazing work. Anyone who gets to work with Jason and Stacy are so lucky. I gotten to work with Stacy recently on, we're doing like some meta writing classroom research together boy she is like one of the most like you said very humble but so brilliant <laughs> yeah so in that class you will get this chance to try out all kinds of ways to rethink what writing means and ways to put ideas into words so i think it'll be really great um, in terms of you as a teacher creating models and mentor texts and imagining what it's going to look like in your classroom yeah. and that, so that's always one of the trickier cool. parts of multi-genre work right is just having a good list of genres also and as i look at some of the class description TikTok videos insta poems podcasts street art tweets protest songs i mean these are all super fun right <laughs> so Exciting. the next class on our list is content literacy and this the content literacy is just absolutely the idea that writing is thinking right that writing helps students think right we know that when you pick up your pencil and you're writing you really it's really hard for your brain to think about something else so what does that look like to leverage 
the idea of reading and writing and disciplines. And it's Megan Rodney, one of our favorite people. That's right. That's so, so great. Right, online, so you can take it anywhere. Hooray. All right, so where we're from, place-based writing and learning. Okay, I have been waiting to talk about this one with you, Noah. So I, I'm. is it possible to like have a favorite? I mean, I feel a little bit like a mom that has a favorite sibling here or a favorite mm -hmm. child because I love all of the summer classes. I really do. But I'm most excited about this one. We haven't offered a class like this um, in a long time. And so place-based learning was really popular, I don't know, like 10 years ago. And it's kind of like fallen off a little bit. But I think right now is exactly a cool moment to think about place-based learning. Because here's what it is. It's kind of um, multiple things at one time. In one sense, place-based learning is this idea of understanding where you're from. Like where we're from shapes us. It shapes our identity, our perspective, the way we look at things, what we know in the world. And noticing that and recognizing that and writing about that is really cool, right? This idea mm -hmm. that like this place matters in the world as to who we are. And we can get inspiration that way. We can do research into where we are and have in the world of chaos, this global chaotic world that we're in right now, like recognizing our place is pretty cool, right? Oh yeah, and you know, it actually isn't out of style everywhere. Again, here in Canada, it's in the standards. Doing place-based learning is in the standards, especially when it comes to getting to know the indigenous peoples and getting to know how like the, you know, the somewhat checkered history, Canadians have that in common with the States um, and how colonialists interacted and in, in many cases committed genocide with First Nations peoples. But what is happening in Canada and what's happening in this class is just getting to know the history of a place where you happen mm -hmm. to be. Like I got to do some of this work when I taught in Lebanon. Lebanon was a historical town and it just so happened that one of the retired middle school teachers was the town's historian. So was, we had that resource going for us. But you'd be amazed just doing a walking field trip around your town if your school is in a place where you can do that kind of work. You'd be amazed at how much you can learn about what was there before. Like we discovered that in Lebanon, Lebanon is was the supposed to be the original home of Miami University. Did you know that? No. <laughs> but they had some zoning and political kinds of issues that popped up. That's so interesting. But then in the 18 late 1800s, a teachers college came in and it was it it covered like a big chunk of the city, like the downtown proper part of the city. It's completely gone. It's completely yeah. demolished except for one tiny white building next to the post office. It used to sprawl. The campus sprawled across town. So we got to walk and see all the different places that where it used to be. We got to look at the different historical markers. We got to talk to local experts about what it was like there. We learned that there, there are so many buildings in Lebanon that weren't there just because they caught on fire. So then we had an inquiry into why the heck are all these buildings in Lebanon catching on fire? Was there an arsonist? Anyway, <laughs> like there's so, so many things think? that you uncover in place-based learning, um, whether it's investigating like equity 
and mm -hmm. uh, racial and ethnic kinds of issues that have come up, or also just exploring the history of your place. It's real. I mean, you uncover such cool stuff. Yeah, I remember hearing about that work that you did, and that's why I was excited to talk to you about this because I do think that so often the, there's so much learning just like right outside on the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's walk outside on that sidewalk and there's so much learning. What do you think your students gained from all of that like place-based research that they did? And the thing that I could feel in the classroom and just in talking to students and hearing their comments too, at the end of the project, you know, like every pro inquiry project, it wasn't like a linear point A to point B and it was easy process. Sometimes it was really hard. And, but through it all, like through the adversity, through the triumphs, we left this project feeling a new connection to our town. Like mm -hmm. that Where I'm From poem by George Ella Lyon, like Lebanon will be on everyone's Where I'm From poem if they write one because we just felt, we fell in love with our city. Like the problems, the good things. It's hard not to feel a deep connection when you do that kind of learning. So I love that. And that's kind of, it's one whole thread of this class is exactly what you're talking about. And then the other thing about place-based learning is this idea of the inspiration of nature. So the National Writing Project has um, done a program called Write Out for the last few years and has partnered with the National Park Service to think about like, what does it mean to have writing inspiration from nature? So we're actually gonna be taking field trips in this class to write in nature and just gotta like reground ourselves because place-based learning also means that. Like, oh, yeah. um, that whole idea of like feeling the earth. <laughs> yeah, part of I mean, and that's what writers writing. do, right? Writers look at normal things around them and interesting and experimental and thoughtful ways. I love yeah. it. Yeah, so I know this is why I love this class because it has some super cool threads that I think anybody can do, right? I mean, we all have place and context. Oh, yeah. So And you got Carrie Crotty and Celeste Hopkins teaching the class. That's gonna be so much fun. Right, and Celeste is actually a social studies and English teacher. So she's gonna be able to bring that lens. So like, what does this mean to support social studies standards too? Oh yeah, just looking at things through those five themes of geography is gonna, it's gonna add new flavor to it for sure. <laughs> I know yeah. it, I know it. All right, and then our last class um, that is celebrating poetry. I know you love this. Oh yeah, I mean, that's one of the great things about Ohio Writing Project is it's one of the things that OWP brings up again and again. Like mm -hmm. if so, if OWP were a book and we were using Kylene Beers and Robert Prope's again and again strategy from notice and note, poetry would come up and not just poetry, but we don't need to only teach poetry during the month of April. Poetry right. is something that should be year round. It should be something that comes up in every introduction of a podcast. Poetry is, <laughs> it's the jam. It's where you, it's the most, where you get to experiment and play with writing the most. Right, right. And so we're going to be doing all of the things, right? All the writing project things. We will just appreciate poetry. We'll just enjoy it. We'll like name our favorite poets and we'll learn some of you. If you have none, you'll walk away with tons of favorite poets. If you have favorites, you'll get to share them. So we'll just enjoy, right? But then you'll also get to write poetry. Um, mm -hmm. Tim Reisert, whose poems have been featured here a couple of times, 
took this class a few years ago and said this class really was a jumpstart for him to start writing again, his poetry, to kind of have that space. So you get to do that. And, and then, like you mentioned, there's this thing about poetry that it lets you do um, that when we, own, when we keep it only in April in our little poetry um, unit, it, we're not able to do. And that is to use it to help understand what it means to write and read. And a poetry is short enough that we can, you know, look at author's crafts and choices mm -hmm. and talk about them, that we can analyze. We practice analysis. I practice analysis a lot with poetry. Like what is an analysis move? You can do that with poetry, right? Um, and yeah. to look at vocabulary. I mean, there's just like, mm -hmm. there's nothing in grammar. There's oh, nothing yeah. that you, standard you can't teach with and poetry. The tricky thing with some mentor texts, if you're using it for narrative writing, essay writing, the mentor texts are so long and it means you have to dedicate a little more class time to it. The great thing about using poetry as a mentor text for poetry or prose, because you can use just sent one sentence mentor texts or one line mentor texts. The great thing is it, it's really fast. It's a quick mentor text, especially if you're pressed for time. And I think one of the things I'm thinking that's gonna be cool about this class is when I first started trying to really build out my poetry repertoire and spreading it throughout the school year, it's hard to find that many poems. It's hard to build a yeah. list of that many mentor texts and this class is going to help a lot with that. Right, so um, maybe, you know, I feel like I should ask a question like, who's your favorite poet or what's your favorite poem? But we might have <laughs> talked, we might have talked about that before. So mm -hmm. let me, so let me ask a different question. Like okay. what, what do you think is your favorite or your go-to poetry move? Or if you're gonna write a poem, write this, write today, mm -hmm. what do you think you might write about? Um, my go-to poetry move, I've been, I was just thinking about this yesterday. I was writing on my lunch break and I was thinking about how a really, a poem that usually hits my head and my heart the hardest is framed the way a joke is framed. It may not be funny, but a really good joke has like a story that acts as the setup. And then you have a really solid punchline or a twist that happens at the end, or maybe it's just like zooming out to look at the idea in a different way. And then the writer, and then you realize, oh, this is what the writer was saying. And then they'll have some kind of tag, like some kind of punchy end line. It's framed a lot like a joke. So when I'm writing, I like to try to use that setup and then find a place where I can make a twist and then have that solid little punchy ending. Mm -hmm. What about you? So I'm not sure I have a favorite poetry move. If I took the class, maybe I'd find one. <laughs> um, but I, I do think I would, um, I think if I was gonna write a poem today, I would try to capture in some words that feeling of, I just had my second vaccine, Noah. And mm -hmm. so I didn't feel good yesterday, mm -hmm. but there's something different about not feeling well when you know your body's trying to like do something good and versus not feeling well when you're sick. And that's super interesting to me about how our, how our body, how our brains and our bodies work that way. Mm -hmm. So I think I would try to write something about, about that, about not feeling good when you know you're you've done something good. <laughs> like, what I mean, does that what, mean? Yeah, I mean, what a perfect premise for a poem. Yeah. That's such yeah. a, yeah, I love that. Can I plug in a poet too? Absolutely. Um, I'm about to interview someone for the podcast. She's a Heinemann fellow. I met her through my friend, Nina Sudnick, who was a friend of the podcast. Um, her name is Nicole Stellan O'Donnell and she's a poet from Alaska. And she writes these 
heart-wrenching poems, but she's a teacher too. So a lot of her poems really capture the inner joys and the inner agony of teaching every day. Like she really sees what it's like to be a kid. She remembers it so vividly and it comes through in her poetry. And she also says these things that on, only a teacher would understand. Um, and I just can't wait to share her work. Her, her book is called, You Are No Longer, in, her newest one's called, You Are No Longer in Trouble. And I read a poem out of it every day. It's just part of my morning routine. It's, I can't wait to share this poet if, you, if someone hasn't already heard of, if people haven't already heard of her. So do you see now why I'm so excited about this summer? Yeah. I know teachers, I know. I know such teachers good are tired. Such good stuff. And we are all really tired this year. And so part of us might, we need a lot of things. We need rest, we need support, we need peace, we need relaxation. And maybe, just maybe, we need a little bit of time together in a really positive way with our professional home and other teachers. So this is a place. said it before and I'll say it again. At OWP, we believe in the power of writing and the expertise of teachers. To find out more about the Ohio Writing Project and to follow Beth Reimer on Twitter, be sure to check out this episode's show notes. We want teachers like you to join us in this transformational work. On that note, when you're trying to do big things as a teacher, we know it can be isolating. OWP is the professional home of hundreds of teachers who set out to create the classrooms they've always imagined, and by listening to and sharing this podcast, you are an important part of what makes OWP so great. I want to thank Beth Reimer, our poetry contributor Sarah Godwin, and above all, I want to thank you for tuning in to Write Answers. (laughs) 